here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome to Crunch Time for Red Rooster. Seize the cheese. Try the new triple cheeseburger today. Limited time, so get in fast. The Rooster's calling. And for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan. Just at the outstretched hands of Stefan Martin. Underneath, it's a smashing kick from Scott. And he's put the first goal on the ball of the left boot. Bailey Smith will be right on the edge of the 50. And while everyone else was wondering where the mark was, he runs around and oh. bombs a goal! Oh, what a blast it was from Bailey Smith. Got him out of the contest. Kicks it beautifully on the angle. Graham, tremendous pickup. Kicks to the square. Bolton marks and waltzes it in. A bit of nourishment on the scoreboard for Richmond. Daniel knocked it clear only as far as Graham. Hooked it around the body and hit the targets. Four in a row for the Tigers. Bolton doesn't rise high. Oh, Baker! Skim the pack, kicks the goal, and the Tigers look a force now. Lynch took it out of the air, hand pass to Bolton, unmarked at the front, opened the angle and snapped it through. There's no stopping the Tigers now. The siren sounds. Remember Richmond. They're still here in 2021. They're special wins. Um, you know, we've had a couple of them that come to mind. You know, the Port Adelaide game, I don't know whether it was last year or possibly the year before, and, you know, it's a little bit the same. But, you know, what I really enjoyed is we, we had players that are capable of stepping up and fulfilling roles, and they did that really, really well. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, we've got some, some good players out the side, but we've also got some great players in the side at the moment too. Undermanned and under pressure, Richmond responds magnificently to the challenge. The powerful turn from the champs, sending a tremor through all with pretensions to the throne, making thoughts of demise seem like wishful thinking. We've been trying to set ourselves a pretty high standard and um, living up to it each week is our challenge. And uh, We know if we do, then uh, you know we'll, we'll be there right to the death with most teams. You can only give Richmond credit for in the end just overpowering us. Probably had too many individuals who who were more productive than, than our group. We had too many down to to be there at the end. So you can't have too many uh, out of sorts against a team like Richmond. Yeah, it's a shame, but um, we'll dust ourselves off and um, and we'll need to refresh and and get ready for uh, for Carlton pretty quickly. The Bulldogs fail the litmus test as the fault lines are revealed under maximum stress. Premiership captain Easton Wood joins us. The rotations, uh, the length of games, your players are trying to find a way and, and our style of play as well isn't shining through how we'd like to. So there's sort of a few things there, but I think we need to get some confidence back. I'm not a big believer in the whole make a statement. I think our fans want us to pick the team that they think is going to win this weekend and take us forward. And right now we're on a pathway and we're really comfortable where we're at. Do I want to continue? The short answer is yes. Do I want to coach? Yes. 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 Regardless of what, what I think I want to do for Nathan Buckley, the only thing that matters is what's best for the Collingwood Footy Club. And the pressure intensifies around the clubs who need to find the response right now. After a week in the headlines, Collingwood takes to the MCG with victory non-negotiable. We'll ask the questions of Magpies Chief Executive Mark Anderson.
This is the round seven edition of Crunch Time. May 1 is a glorious day in Melbourne, light cloud overhead at the MCG, but there is a sense of foreboding around at Collingwood to face the Gold Coast Suns and nothing short of victory. They're not the only team who that is the marker for as this weekend unfolds. But last night, well, if you were a doubter, you got the case study as to why the champs are the champs. And if you want to pick an order that doesn't have them at the top, it's entirely subjective. Jared Waitley with you. Daisy Pierce is back with us on Crunch Time. Daisy, great to have you here. Morning, G. Good to be here and good to be back calling footy. Um, but yeah, last night, Tigers just so impressive. I tipped them. I just thought if this team that's been at the top for so long <laughs> needs any spark or motivation to be backs against the wall with... What is a starting midfield in any other side in the competition? Prestia, Martin, Lambert missing. They're the moments that get this side up and going, and we saw it last night. Strategy was a rich part of last night. How to understand it, how to dissect it, and what throws forward. Craig Jennings, hello to you. Good to be here, Jared. Good to see Daisy again, too. We've worked together for a long time now. We've had some great football conversations, but we spoke during the week, Jared, about uncivilised football, and Trent Cochin showed what that looked like in the third quarter. And again, for the Bulldogs, I've got them a rung below, as much as I love them, but they're a little bit below Melbourne and Port Adelaide and Richmond in that real uncombative uh, style of football that, that wins premierships. Sam Edmonds, uh, it was prickly in the aftermath. Hello to you, Sam. Morning, Jared. Daisy, good to be with you again, Jenna. It was Luke Beveridge. Well, he was provoked one too many times on the line of questioning for the non-selection around Jamara Eugle Hagen, and he finally popped. It had been building for a couple of weeks. Can't really blame him. He'd, uh, he'd lost his patience there. Richmond, well, they're going to have to be patient because they're waiting on scans on their skipper, Trent Cochin, who's done a hamstring, of course. But juice, Jared. Juice. This is what Luke Beveridge called it last night. I reckon half a dozen times. The dogs had more of it. His side had less of it as the game went on. 14 inside 50s in the second half to the dogs. Yeah, and the third quarter was... Given the, the flow of the opening half, the third quarter was abrupt. It was confronting, I think, for the dogs. How far-reaching is what happened last night? So, that, And that's the, the biggest part of the early tests is we know Port Adelaide stacks up with Richmond, so and we got that validated again. Melbourne stacked up, although they didn't get that Richmond. That second half, Richmond was absent the week before bar the first 10 minutes of the game. And the Bulldogs provoked that Richmond, and they didn't stack up against it. I, I don't think the dogs will be walking away worried or concerned that their six and0 start is all for nothing now that they've they've copped that one. They were missing a few players themselves, but I think they come away with that with a few little indications that they've got a few vulnerabilities. That's not always a bad thing to have a loss like that that exposes a few things that you need to work on. And for me, it was, when they come up against sides that are really good in the contest and don't have to rely on sending mass numbers in like the dogs often do, they're vulnerable if they lose that contest because Richmond did that. They can they can hold up and, and win contested ball against the mass numbers of the Bulldogs and then get it to the outside and, and hold it in, which we saw in that second half. And they weren't able to arrest momentum in that third quarter, which was a worry. So we've seen them just be irresistible all year with their handball game, that fast style. Last night when that was subdued because Richmond were really good, 
what did they do next? It was like they were just waiting for that to come back. They didn't have a plan B where we where they go, all right, Richmond's on, on top. Acknowledge their momentum. How do we grind our way back in the game? They just couldn't execute that phase of the game. So I think that's something they need to work on, Jeno, because they're not going to be able to run through September flicking the ball around and, and running the ball up the field to score. They're going to have to be able to dig their way out of holes like they were in in that third quarter. Yeah, it's definitely good to find that out at round seven rather than at round 22. But I think I'm the only person in Australia that thought Richmond looked really stressed going into half time. And I talk about what does the game look like when a team wins and when they lose now. The game looked perfect for the Bulldogs, as you're saying, uh, days in that first half, that handball chain game that they get going. But in the second half, it got stuck in the Richmond forward line and, and the Bulldogs were just bombing it out. But that brings me to Richmond. And at half time, Dimmer actually spoke in the press conference and he forgot what he was talking about at half time and said, just go out and get it done. So it tells you that the Richmond players know exactly what winning looks like. But for me, the first half, the Richmond forwards were just looking for mark of the year all the time. And I was watching the energy of Rewalt just trying to will his team into the game. And then, um, you know, they're missing a lot of shots. But in the second half, it looked like Richmond. So they're in that uncivilised mode, Nan Curves and Cochin, the way they played. But more importantly, it was going inside 50 for Richmond. And instead of trying to get mark of the, of the year, they're hitting up leads. When the ball was hitting the deck, they had that forward 50 pressure. And as you're saying, Days, uh, the Bulldogs are trying to get it out and they're just dumping it straight back to that Richmond wall and they're getting those re-entries. And Sam, you opened 14 inside 50s in yeah. the second half for the Bulldogs because the Richmond were playing the way it looks like when they win. Fantastic result for them. That was another 20-minute press conference from Luke Beveridge last night. So we, we love his, the expansive nature of his press conferences. But the other thing that got under his skin is the narrative around they can be vulnerable down back. Their key backs can be vulnerable. And he bristled at that big time. 77 points they conceded from 57 entries. So he said, look at the stats. I think they just overpowered them in the washing machine that is the turnover game in the middle. They just wore them down. As I said, he kept coming back to the to the term juice. And he did cite Josh Dunkley as being a pretty big out given the team nature of his game that a lot of stuff goes unnoticed around. But I think Tim English was the big one, wasn't it? Josh Hackey just didn't quite impose himself on, on the on the contest. No, well, and, and it was actually much worse than that. That's the kindest way you, you could describe it. It's hard to imagine that, that Beveridge picks Shacky again. And so we've marvelled at the Bulldogs' death, but it isn't, it isn't equal. Like West comes in, they miss Dunkley profoundly for the, the touches that he has here and there and the, the edge of class that he brings to it. So they do have the next player in, but the next player in is not as good as the player who just left. Yeah, I agree with that. You made the call uh, last night, Jared, about they were missing Dunkley and what he provides is great tackle pressure as well. So you get Liberatore on the inside and then Dunkley when teams are trying to exit from that contest or stoppage smashing in. And that allows Trelaw and Bontempelli to do their work on the outside as required. Um, but what we're looking for with the Bulldogs, I don't care who kicks goals when they play North Melbourne. I care about how they stack up in the big occasion game. So we talked about Darcy Parrish being a big occasion player for Essendon and Richmond had them last night. They stood up in the big game and with the Bulldogs, it's still the question mark for me. So I absolutely love them probably more than anyone. I love the way they're coached, but in big games, they've got to find that combative edge and that uncivilised football that Melbourne and Port Adelaide and Richmond have got at the moment. They were asking the question post-match about Eugle Hagen. Should the question have been Mitch Wallace when we talk about what's missing? I mean, they know better than me and anyone what's going on with Mitch Wallace, where he's at. Well, it was, 
it was asked <laughs> and it was dead batted again by the coach to simply saying, look, when, when his form stacks up consistently to a level where we pick him, we pick him. That it was as simple as that. But he strikes – it's such a fascinating story, isn't it? Vice-captain of the football club – he was their best forward last year. Yeah, it, it, leading it, goal kicker. Uh, uh, yeah, it must be said in a radically different looking game. Tenth in the best and fairest as well. Can't get a look in. Can't get a look and, in. And if he wasn't a better option than a couple of others, then we are, as observers don't know what we're looking at. It is, so I, I get the combat. When you fail the test and you build yourself up to get that test, you will be prickly. But the Bulldogs are going to live the year in the top four. I suspect they're going to live the year in the top two. Tom Lynch, from the very first moments last night, looked like he would get hold of it all night. Mm. And so he's taken 12 marks. So Beveridge can object all he likes to the narrative around being vulnerable in the key posts front and back, but it's real. Yeah, so It doesn't matter whether he bigger. disputes it or not. Mm. It's real. And coming into a preliminary final, we will all look in that direction for them to be able to solve it and survive it. Because if it's Revolt and Lynch, they don't have the firepower at the moment to match that. And he may have defended the back six, but you could see it last night that when given one-on-one -on -one opportunities, Tom Lynch beat Cordy, I think it was, most of the time yeah. a lot. Yeah, Just, he had his hands full. Yeah, yeah and he could have got, he could have kicked eight, eight goals, if not more, after he dished one off to Arts in the goal square. So I think there's, there is, that is a vulnerability to the eye. And it's the privilege of the high-end conversation. They're going to be revered throughout the year. It, and it, will it stack up? They, they do not have the personnel that they would ideally like in their key posts. Yeah, and, and so what Luke Beveridge is great at, he's such a creative coach. Now, what he does is he supports those players with midfielders and the work they do to get back, and he gets his wingers to slide back also. Now, when he talks about juice, Sam, when you brought that up earlier, I straight away think, well, that's about midfield depth yep. because to defend, you need a lot of energy, and you've seen that improvement in Melbourne this year by throwing lots of numbers through the... Midfield Now, last night, if you have a look at the two teams, Richmond have got plenty of midfielders that they can throw back as well to really test the Bulldogs' midfield. So I suspect that the, the heat on the footy in the middle of the ground wasn't as strong as the game went on for the Bulldogs um, based on the, the quality of the midfield opponent they were up against last night. And we know Dusty's missing, Lambert's missing, you know, Solo's missing, Presti is missing, Vlosten's missing. But as you mentioned, the, the quality that is in that second tier of... Uh, options for Bevo probably isn't what it is for Damien Harwick. And I'll tell you what, they cannot sign Shea Bolton quick enough. Yeah, so he's really, every time he's been given the opportunity to oh. be more, he's been more. And he was that, it was flip of the coin whether Lynch or Bolton was the best player on the ground last night. What's really important to that in my mind, so when I'm watching the game, Daze, we were talking about this uh, just off air earlier, what's going to happen next? Now, when it got close late, if it had have stayed close, straight away in those last five minutes, I talk about it being the Pareto period, all the levers for holding a lead have been taking, taken away. So what you want to be able to do, whether you're a team that tags or doesn't tag, is shut out the opposition's match winners late in the game. Now, usually I go to Hawley because he gets involved on that back flank and Dustin Martin because clearly he can win a game from anywhere. And last night was the first time I've thought, OK, with five minutes to play, if you're in front and you need to hold a lead against Rich, uh, Richmond, you're going straight to Bolton and, and that's a big accolade. How good was he early, though, as well? Some yeah. of his kicks inside 50 had to hit a, a two-metre spot and they hit it. 
He's got everything as a player, hasn't he? So Ralph Carr's his manager, though, and you know he's not going to be rushed, Jared. Now, he, he, he was quoted in the Herald Sun last week, or this week, just gone saying no. Shea wanted to wait until the last portion of the year, but he's getting better by the week, by the week. It's very clever. Management 101, of course. You extract the maximum. You're not going to go home to WA. You love it at that football club, but you need to get your share of the pies, they say, Jerry. And he's not just flair. Like some of his aerial contests, when he's outsized, outnumbered, just his ability to bring it to ground and get the ball back in a contest, it just makes him so dangerous because he's never out of it. The last question for the Bulldogs, and they got the best of Richmond. And when Richmond come at you in that way, it's, it's extremely hard to absorb, withhold and not flinch. Is Did they get intimidated by Richmond? You, you could find clips as the second half unfolded of players who dropped marks, who just seemed jittery, given what they were, um, what was the onslaught that they were facing. Yeah, it's, and days you know as well as anyone, it's, it'll be an uncomfortable review on Monday for a few players, but Bevo's the leader of that football club, and what he knows now is he needs to select a, a, a team uh, that can p- perform on the biggest stage. Not a team that can perform against the bottom eight teams, but one that can perform against the biggest challenges in Melbourne and Port Adelaide. And, you know, you were talking about Mitch Wallace earlier. And one thing I know is when I walked into that footy club in 2015, he was the first player to come up and introduce himself. He's uh, just a high-class person. But you know if he played last night, whether he got a kick or didn't get a kick... He absolutely would have fought to the death for that jumper. And so that's something that might stand him in good stead in terms of getting a game in the next few weeks because he's as honest as they come. There's a fascinating storyline as there is this year, I reckon, Mitch Wallace and his non-selection, Jared, And uh, that might be another bone of contention for Bevo moving forward. He's had a couple of them that he got a bit narky about last night. This might be another one. And the Eugle Hagen discussion is welcome to the number one draft pick. Yeah. The number one draft pick is different to every other young player in the competition. It always has been and it always will be. When you see the thrill seeker, Oh, the thill seeker, as Hutchie calls him, do his thing. Pick two. Adelaide did bid on Jamari Hagen, so they took Riley at pick two. And then you got Jamari Hagen there as pick one. You're always going to get questions about that until we see him. Rich Fodder out of last night. We'll touch base with both camps, Jason Castagna and Easton Woods. Coming up, you're listening to Crunch Time for the new Navara at Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan. Crunch time for Red Rooster. Try the new triple cheeseburger, the Rooster's Calling. And for the new Navara at Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan. The Tigers by 22 points over the Western Bulldogs after trailing by 25 in the second term. So it's such great fodder for a Saturday morning to revel in what the champs were able to conjure. Jason Castagna is a rich part of it at the Tigers. Jason, great to have you on Crunch Time. Hey, boys. Thanks for having me. Was it satisfying last night? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was real good to um, you know get a good win, especially when you're coming from behind and um, after a you know a lot of yeah, it was good. Great win. Was the coach happy to share his sense of pride with you as well as with us publicly? Um, yeah, yeah. Dimmer was wrapped after the game. You know, just the way that we went about, obviously, you know. The game um, was like favouring them a bit earlier, I guess, with the scoreboard and that, but we were playing our way and it turned and um, Lynchy started to kick some goals, so it was good. No, he, was, he was wrapped with the performance. Do we take him at face value? Was he, did he lose his train of thought in his half-time speech and just give up and say, just go and get it done? <laughs> did you hear that from... Have you heard that from That's what he already? said. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He did a bit, actually. He... Um, yeah, he stumbled on his words a bit and um, 
yeah, ended up just telling us to get out there and get it done and had a bit of a laugh at that. So, he, yeah, it worked. He got the boys up with his gag. So, um, yeah, no, it worked for us. Daisy Pierce and Craig Jennings. Hey, Jason, congratulations on the win. I'm sure there was a bit more to it at halftime before he stumbled on his words. What was it? What adjustments did he make going into that uh, scintillating third quarter of yours? Uh, yeah, look, it wasn't any massive, um, you know, difference. He kind of he kind of emphasised that we were, it was looking like a Richmond game and we were playing, we were playing the way we wanted to play. Just a few things weren't going our way and with a few skill execution um, let us down. But um, yeah, he just pretty much told us to crack in and keep, um, you know, attacking the ball. And, and um, yeah, I guess we kind of went out and, did that and yeah with his big pump up speech at half time that he stumbled on it um yeah got us there what is it that you've done over time as a club and a team to be able to go in at half time inaccuracy scoreboard not looking the way you want how do you develop that mental strength to be able to to come out and apply yourselves the way you so often do yeah i think i think just um knowing knowing our brand of footy and the way we want to play if we're um if we're kind of doing that and the scoreboard's not going our way we can still take a lot of confidence out of that and I think we felt that um yeah like I said in the first half we were playing the way we wanted to play um, but it just wasn't showing on the scoreboard and we kind of took it into the third and then things started to go away a bit and yeah we I guess we've just been in that position before so we know we can turn it around pretty quick Jason, it's Craig Jennings here. I love the way you play and, and everyone loves the Tigers and the way they go about it. I'm really interested in some of the mantras and, and the imagery that you use as a footy club. So when you um, get a shot of the rooms at halftime or pre-game, there's images all around the wall of, of you guys celebrating a goal. What is the story behind that and what does that mean to you as a football club? How does it in, inspire you? Um, yeah, well... We've got a yeah big emphasis on um you know celebrating and enjoying enjoying each other's company, having fun. So you know when we score a goal, might have heard Dimmer mention it before. We love to you know come back and celebrate to each other. Um, not so much the crowd, much as we love the crowd, but I don't know. It's more I don't know it's how it started, but we kind of just yeah have always loved getting around each other, and we really um. Yeah, embrace the times when boys kick a goal or do something good and get around each other. So, yeah, it's a big emphasis of our game. Uh, Jason, Sam Edmund here. Thanks for your time this morning. There was one change in the second half, though, wasn't there, that went beyond mindset, and that was Liam Baker, the little man joining you in the forward line, and he made a profound difference, didn't he? I, I just wonder, did he let you know about that post-game? He had a big influence on the result. Nah, he didn't actually, surprisingly. Um Bakes is yeah, he's he's a pretty special player. He's one of those blokes you can kind of just chuck anywhere and he's gonna play his role. You can probably put him in the ruck and he'll he'll find a way. But he's um yeah, he's got such good footy smarts and yeah, you would have seen his crumb in the uh last quarter kick us off. Like I'd probably be lucky to get one of them a year and he comes down for one quarter and he gets one and kicks a goal. So he's just yeah, he's He's um, been great for us this year and he'll continue to be great, I reckon.
Jason, going into the game last night with the Bulldogs being absolutely red hot, it was probably one of the few occasions that you as a footy club in the last few years get to be the hunter. Um, can you take us inside the uh, in, inside your week and the planning for Western Bulldogs specifically? I know it's a lot about your own game and what you bring, but what were some of the strengths that you were looking to take away from the Bulldogs and uh, were there any weaknesses that you were looking to exploit or expose? Um, yeah, look, they... Um they obviously had a great year so far and um, their kind of run and carry is, um, you know, a big part of their game and uh, our defensive pressure being one of our, you know, our uh, best parts of our game. So we kind of thought that that was a bit of a way we could exploit them is trying to, you know, put pressure on them and force them to turn the ball over. So, um, yeah, like you said, we, we did focus on a lot of us and what we can do, um, but that was probably one of the things we thought we could exploit them in. Was it significant to win with the players that you had out, Jason? Is and that had been some of the fixation of the week. It, it was a quality. It was a midfield, a starting midfield quality set of absences, including the best player in the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, we're missing um, Dusty and obviously Lambo as well. Um, a few of our starting mids, but um, it was a good opportunity, obviously, to get the young boys in like Rossi, and um, it's really exciting having a young um, debutante. So, um, uh, yeah, I think that puts the gets the boys up a bit, and um, yeah, definitely great, great to win um, without some of the big names. And Jason, just coming back to sort of your method in this game that uh, Craig Jennings was just touching on there, uncontested marks. I think at halftime you had somewhere in the low 60s and your season average is only somewhere in the low 70s for an entire game, of course. Was that a deliberate ploy to at least play a little bit of keepings off to, I don't know, um, keep the momentum, hold the momentum and just stop the, the frenetic nature of the way the dogs play at all? Um, yeah, look, probably... Um, I'm not sure if we meant to... Yeah, maybe have well, like we did have a lot of marks. I'm not sure if we need to have that many, um, but yeah, I guess holding on to the ball gives us a bit more. Like it's always good holding, having the ball in possession. So there was a bit of a focus on, you know, uh, having just controlling possession a bit more this week. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much how much uh, that'll be going forward or what the go is, but. Um, yeah, it's it definitely, I think, helped us get the win is controlling the ball a bit more. Jason, going back to your week again, what, what's the greatest learning that you found uh, after that loss to Melbourne, either in regards to what you do against Melbourne next time or what you learnt that you, could, that you took into this week that really turned your form around? Um, yeah, against, against Melbourne, I think there was... Um, we, you know, we kind of play with good intent and... Um, the effort was there and stuff, but there was just a few times we probably went away from the way we wanted to play and um, whether it was the weather conditions or, um, you know, whatever it was, we probably didn't um, go out to win as much rather than, you know, playing a bit more defensive. So um, probably just really what we're taking out of that is just to keep playing our way regardless of the point of the game, regardless of the scoreboard, um, you know, just going out to win. Jason, good of you to join us on Crunch Time. Good luck for what's to come next. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
So the other side of that coin to come shortly. Jason Castagna from the winners. Eastern Wood is going to join us on the Bulldog side of things. You're listening to Crunch Time. Thanks to the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. Test drive the new Nissan Navara today. And, of course, for Red Rooster as well. Seize the cheese. Try the new triple cheeseburger today. Limited time, so get in fast. Crunch Time for Red Rooster. Try the new triple cheeseburger. The Rooster's calling. And for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan. So the Dogs, six in a row to start the season, and then they came up short of the highest bar in footy as they faced the Tigers last night after leading by 25 points in the first half. Eastern Woods seen a lot of this throughout the year. These big matches, he's prevailed in a premiership as the captain. He's with us on Crunch Time with Sam Edmund, Jared Waitley, Daisy Pearce, and Craig Jennings. Eastern, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jared. What's your morning after verdict when you think back of the events of last night? Oh, look, it was a it was a tough game. Um, I mean, the first half, obviously, it was pleasing to um, you know have the have a bit of a lead and going in. Although, probably didn't feel we were you know really firing on on all cylinders. So I was expecting to come out in that second half and you know hopefully find another gear. But unfortunately, um, you know that was the, what the Tigers came out and did. Um, obviously, they're you know an exceptional team and and they showed why. Last night, they really raised uh, the intensity and, um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, we, we couldn't, couldn't match that and they, they got the better of us in the end. How, um, how overwhelming was the third quarter in, in, the way that's, um, in the way that they dominated it? Yeah, well, they really played the game um, in, in their half and what we've been able to do throughout the start of the so they really capitalise on four and a half turnovers and build pressure through territory and field position, but we just couldn't get that game going. So um, it was a credit to them the way that they were able to, you know, um, stave off our, our our forward attacks. Their their defenders really did well in intercepting the ball, and then they were able to pretty much um, get the ball from their defence uh, into their half, um, which was a shame that we weren't able to really, you know, stem that flow. And then they also started to then probably get on on top a little bit uh, around the ball. So that's something we'll go back and back and have a look at um, and see what we could have done better. The how pragmatic was the aftermath? What was what was Luke's demeanour after the game? Is round seven's not the? It's a pretty good time to to put your put your stuff up and have a look how it sits. Yeah, for sure. And 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 Bevo was really measured. Obviously, there was you know dis- disappointment there in in terms of. You know, having you know having that lead and having a game, in part looking how we how we wanted to, but then probably you know disappointing thing um, when when Richmond lifted, we weren't able to, unfortunately, you know, um, arrest that momentum and, and fire a shot back and get the game back into a bit of an arm wrestle, um, you know, which was which was disappointing. But obviously Bevo really measured. Um, there's lots of things that we'll we'll look at during the week that hopefully we'll have some some significant learnings learnings from. Um, and yeah, we'll go from there. Easton, Daisy Pierce here. Bad luck on the, the okay. loss last night. Um, just going back, you mentioned Richmond being able to get their rebound and turnover game going get going in that third quarter. It seemed like you had a lot of numbers back in your D50 helping out. Once it's in that mode and they're getting the re- repeat entries, what are you doing as a, a backline leader to try and get that balance right and get a few more numbers ahead of the ball? Yeah, it's a real it's a real challenge, Dave. So there was a few different um, numbers games that was kind of being played um, throughout the game, um, and Richmond were liking to send a couple up to the stoppage at different times. Um, 
So when we were going forward and they were intercepting the ball, um, we were probably as defenders caught caught back a little bit and we couldn't quite get up the ground quick enough um, to be able to stop their exit. So they were being able to exit wide um, at the open side, but also it felt like they had numbers through the middle of the ground too. So we need to go back and have a look at um, how we could have how we could have done that better, but um, credit for the Tigers for being able to capitalise um, on that on that stuff for sure. Eastern Craig Jennings here. Good to chat again, mate. Um, hey, Craig. One of my favourite memories of, of not just the Bulldogs, but football in general was uh, we were at the Bulldogs in 2015 and we'd been beaten by 100 points and we had the review on Monday. And by the time we walked out of that review, I remember talking with Stephen King saying it felt like we just won that game by 100 points because Bevo <laughs> just came up with all the solutions how we would turn that game around next time. So... Can you take us forward to what the review might look like this week? Is Bevo, um, you know, he's always been pretty calm with the players, but after a loss like that, um, you know, another big game in a sense that that didn't go quite your way. Can you take us into the rooms and what the review might look like this week? Yeah, well, he'll break it down like we do, like we do every week. Um, And we'll just break it down into the simplest things that um, were the factors that made us uh, not be able to, you know, get the get the job done. I'm sure we'll we'll have a look at um, some of that stuff I spoke about about our our forward entries and you know whether that's the forwards in the wrong position or our kicks um, you know just not being up to the, the standard that we wanted to. But you know, there's part of that as well is just Richmond's Richmond's pressure, which we know is elite. So how we could have you know maybe not um, invited that as much, but we'll break this game down into the defense, attack, and the neutral side of the game, mate, and have a look at all those areas that we could have done better. But um, as you mentioned, Bevo uh, is really measured each time we go through this stuff um, and he'll just break it down. And obviously there's an incredible amount of grey in the game that we know, but he's great in being able to really try and pinpoint those black and white moments of, now this is where we needed to be better and this is how we could have done that. So look forward to that this week. What about your planning for Richmond then? Uh, I think, is it Jamie Maddox that's um, doing opposition at the moment? Like, What yep. was that meeting like? What were you looking to take away from Richmond? And, and do they have any, uh, I guess, flaws that you were trying to exploit at all? Well, we know how much they like to um, take territory in straight lines, um, whether it's just knock-ons, uh, handball undergrounds, um, and just that quick surge game. And they really run in waves. Um, They've been so successful with that. So, you know, part of our focus um, and what we try and do against the Tigers, you try and, as a defence, come up and change the direction of the ball, whether that's a spoil out of bounds or just get it going back our way so you hopefully you get out, out of the way of their ways. But to be honest, it didn't feel like that was the way that they um, really got us. Uh, I'm sure they got us a couple of times that way, but it felt like probably their composure with ball in hand and their ability to you know, get out into space... Um, whether it was on switch or, or through the middle of the ground, um, they probably got us a bit more there than we would have liked. So that's something I'm sure we'll look at. Uh, Eastern, Sam Edmund here, mate. Thanks for your time this morning. I, team selections are always intriguing, especially when you know, you've know you got a list as deep as yours. I, we were spending a bit of time earlier talking about Mitch Wallace, who's obviously the vice captain of the club, an important player last year. Can't get a game this year. I was just going to ask you where you thought he might be at and how... Mitch himself is dealing with what's a, a pretty big reversal of fortunes, um, you know, seven weeks into the season. Yeah, obviously it's, it's a tough position for, for Mitch to be in and any player to be in, um, you know, coming off a, a good year last year and, um, you know, then 
finding themselves just just on the outer. Um, I suppose the way the team has structured up, um, we've been going with those three tools as those uh, as those key forwards. Obviously, Tim English wasn't in last night, but you know Shaq played that role, and um, that's probably a role Mitch was playing last year. Um, and with the makeup of the team, yeah, unfortunately, it, um, yeah, he's just found himself on the outer there, and incredibly difficult. You know, obviously being being vice captain makes it harder. But what's great is Mitch is just one of the, most, the highest quality people you'll ever meet. Um, and he's just going back and working on his craft and working his bum off to to be able to be ready for when that moment comes because it will come soon, I'm sure. And um, he'll have great impact for us. So, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't ask Mitch to be doing doing more at this point. He's doing a great job in a and tough circumstance. With, sorry, um, Easton, just with Tim English, I mean, we've seen players obviously need to sit out for longer with concussion. I know it's early. Uh, is it every indication you'll be good to go against Carlton next weekend? I think so. From and I think we've got a bit of a longer break to Carlton game as well, so that'll that'll certainly help. But from from what I've seen and what I just got the text before coming on here from a meter manager saying that he was tracking well, so that's uh, <laughs> so I can answer that one well. So Adrian said he's doing his job. Well, that's good to hear. Exactly right. But you know, it's it's just great with the new concussion rules that that's um, you know being looked after and players' health is being put um, at a forefront. So if Tim did need the extra time and need the extra week off, there wouldn't be any hesitation to give him that, which is. Um, from where I started uh, playing back in all the way back in 2008, I'm glad uh, things have changed so much since then. I'm really looking after guys in their heads. Easton, always good to have you with us. Thanks for your time this morning. Oh, cheers, Jared. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Easton Wood from the Western Bulldogs. Uh, they were 22 points, the points the wrong side of it last night. Uh, six and one. Their, their next couple of weeks. So, Carlton. Then they've got Port Adelaide, St Kilda and Melbourne. So they've got uh, two of the other hot three, as it were, and, and having just uh, met Richmond. So we'll, they'll, we'll find their level uh, over this next month of footy. I don't want to put too much mayo on it, but have Carlton been their bogey team? I think they've beaten them two out of the last three, the Blues, and given them a good old pantsing in, in those two wins as well. 52 points last year and 44 points the year before that. We might wait to see what the Blues do tomorrow, <laughs> shall we? There's a big asterisk <laughs> on that one, must be said. So, uh, Richmond's um, the journey, so the longevity of the champs, and Hawthorne lived this. As your reign goes on, you're not an every week at the same level team. It's, it's completely unsustainable to do that. So you rise to the challenges and then you can serve, and then Richmond have been the masters of, mapping out a campaign at the back end of the season where they have been near untouchable in uh, in a couple of their premiership years. So in the week-to-week judgments that we make, having again witnessed that last night with an undermanned team, what are we going to do with Richmond? Are, are they in the subset? So they're the champs and everyone else is just figuring out who the number one contender is going to be. Absolutely. They're, they're the favourites for mine. Until someone else proves otherwise. Exactly. They're, they're, they're the favourites until the siren sounds and they're out of the final series, Jared, for mine as well. I wouldn't trust, I wouldn't trust anyone to go past them at the moment when the, when the whips are cracking. But it is fascinating, isn't it, how they find that internal drive. You know, as, as a club that's won three of the last four, they come to the MCG, primetime fixture, an undefeated side, and they find something. So they can go to that level 
can other clubs go to that level when it counts most? And they map out and navigate the season because of incredible resolve and stability and belief off field as much as on field. They don't flinch at form or outside noise or like we saw last year, off field indiscretions and things going wrong. They're just so clear about what they need to do. And Jason Castagna actually gave a little insight about one of those things that they do feed off. A debutante last night, the injuries aren't seen as a negative. It's another opportunity for someone who's not done anything wrong. I mean, Collier Dawkins was an early pick three years ago. He's probably toiled away and done everything right for three years and he finally gets his chance. They feed off that. So they, they find and create things to, to keep fueling them along the way. I'll just go back to history. And I remember watching Brisbane Lions playing a practice match at the Witten Oval back in 2004 and just thinking no team is ever going to beat Brisbane ever. But eventually teams do. They just fall down the ladder. It's the way the system is designed now. It's hard to imagine a competition without Richmond on the top. But where I think they're a little bit lucky this year is the two standouts for me in terms of what does winning a premiership look like are Melbourne and Port Adelaide. So in a sense... Richmond can be a little bit one out and one back. So are they falling down the ladder? It's pretty hard to make that argument. But what they've got is two teams that are playing superior football to them at the moment, I think, in terms of what winning a premiership looks like. But we have great confidence in Richmond that they can match it and go past it. But I go back to that Melbourne game last week and they made Richmond look pretty timid. So Richmond have got the answers there, but it just isn't a matter of walking out and getting it done. Um, you know, they've got to find a way to get past Melbourne and, and Port Adelaide now. So Hawthorne in their, their third year of, of winning uh, the three in a row, they were four and four and then they put together uh, the, the, the thicket of winning to make sure that they protected its place. So Richmond's journey through the home and away is to nail down a place in the top four. And it's just to run the maths to make sure that that's all right. And then presumably at some point they will pick their campaign length as they have done in the past, and, and lock right into that. Top eight might be enough. If they finished eighth, is anyone going to be riding them off, Jared? No, but, um, but I'm sure they would map I out just. the top. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and last night plays a role in not losing touch with the top two, is if you go three and four and there are two, seven and zero teams, is the maths does get a little bit tricky. So there'll be weeks every now and then they simply have to bank that four points to make sure that it all stays neat. Oh, I think you saw that really clearly last night. It was a big occasion game that it was must win and Richmond stepped up and, and Western Bulldogs faltered. What rings really strongly in my ears when you make those comments, Jared, is Jordan Lewis. So the day I met him and, and picked his brain about Hawthorne, it didn't matter where they were on the ladder. It didn't matter where they were in a game in regards to the scoreboard. They had belief that they would win. And clearly when you're winning premiership after premiership and so many games, they've got that belief and they showed it at half time again that uh, when the game's on the line and it's a big game, they find a way to win. Well, they're process driven. That's why they, no matter what the scoreboard says, no matter what happened the week before, they, they come out and are so consistent in their application. You hear Damien Hardwick mention process all the time. Last night was a clear example of that. I mean, you go into a half-time break, 19 points, I think, down. They were on the, the ladder leaders, the hot team of the competition. You've left goals out there. Often the inaccuracy and the wasted opportunities that they had in that first half, it can eat you up and it can build pressure as the game goes on on the next goal kicker and the next contest. It did not eat them up. They, they just lent into it and came out and applied the exact same process they were reassuring themselves by the sound of things that this looks like a Richmond game. We've just got to keep it that way. Yeah. And the result 
they nail. You know this um, better than anyone, Days, is within the four worlds, the coaches will always be talking about it's not about playing your best football now. The team that improves the most as the season goes on is the team that wins it. And what you do in those last six weeks is the really critical factor. You would have seen that firsthand at all the football clubs you've been at. Throughout the season, we will be counting down the most unbelievable moments in footy history for Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. And Richmond at the MCG, they, they give glimmers of that, don't they? The, the two flags that have been won here, the one that's been won at the Gabba, and so much attention will be focused on next Friday night when Richmond and Geelong meet, having played big finals in each of the Tigers' premiership years. Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. We'll broaden out our crunch time conversations next. Collingwood, Carlton and St Kilda very much front of mind in the circumstances they find themselves in. Mark Anderson, the Chief Executive of the Magpies, coming up on Crunch Time. On Crunch Time, we're gearing up for a vital day of footy for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big and small. At the MCG, the Gold Coast Suns are in the middle of the grounds. Just familiarising themselves with the home of footy, they'll come up against Collingwood, who have lived the week in the headlines. As the day unfolds, a top-ends clash when the Brisbane Lions and Port Adelaide meet. And then tomorrow, back at this venue, Essendon and Carlton. And along the way, St Kilda take their next test. They finally have their pair of Ruckman back in Ryder and Marshall, and they have no wiggle room left to live up to what they want to be in 2021. So there is a set of teams who simply must win this weekend for their own endeavours, never mind for the conversations that happen outside the fence. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Daisy Pearce and Craig Jennings with you for Crunch Time. The Magpies Chief Executive Mark Anderson is going to join us in about 10 minutes' time. There has been nothing quite so fascinating as the Magpies this week. For their own, for the internal mechanisms that are going on, uh, let alone um, how they're viewed from 17th place at one and five. The president keeps talking about finals. The club won't shelve its aspirations. They're setting a bar that most of us think they can't meet. And Nathan Buckley, having been so deft at avoiding any commitment around his future, he made it. He made it the morning after the chief executive had declared he didn't know whether Buckley wanted to continue on. Bucks answered the questions at a press conference. It had a little bit of Jack Nicholson about it. You want answers? You want answers? Here's your answer. How are we reading Collingwood before we talk to Mark Anderson? Daisy Pierce, what's your read of the pies? Oh, I think finals and contention is out of the question when you, you watch them. I think that they need to, to kind of spend a bit of time adding talent to this list now um, to get back in the conversation. Still the big issue for mine is their forward line and their ability to kick a winning score, particularly what the way with the game that the game is being played now with the changes, you can't defend at a win as as often. You have to be able to kick a score as well, and I, I just don't see that they have that firepower. I think that's a great point, Daisy. You, you got me thinking on the way in. I was thinking about Collingwood's forward line, and um, now that Degoe's back and the conversation around Darcy Moore. Now, if we go back to the West Coast Collingwood game in that first quarter, when you had Dugowie as a forward and Moore as a forward. And it was a little controversial in a sense that uh, Moore, the All-Australian defender, but what that looked like for Collingwood was they got 
better IQ in their forward 50 by putting more down there. Whether you like that move or not, it helps the other players around them. And from memory, Jared, I think they were five goals on the scoreboard pretty early. So I've got a feeling today that even though Moore went back last week, that you might find him up forward because common sense says that Collingwood aren't going to make a move up the ladder unless they can sort their ball for movement out and get better footy IQ up in that forward 50. So for me, Degoe and Moore uh, really help what Majacek and the others can do in that forward line. So I've got a feeling he might end up forward again today if they're to rebound up the ladder. I don't mind the move of him forward, and I think he's he'd make a good forward. He's also a very good back, but I think they need to make a decision on him because of where this side is at. They, they need to know whether he's going to hold down their back line or whether he's a genuine option up forward so that it doesn't – you can't be relying on him to be both as you future plan for the players that you bring in and the, those that you develop because if you're thinking more's your answer up forward and that changes your decision as to which forwards you put time into and who you're pl- planning with, I, I just think they have to make a decision. Yeah, I agree with that. What I see it as is a short-term solution to some injury issues in terms of how. And for a, a long time now, over a, a football season, a year and a quarter, um, their ball movement is really affecting whether they can win or lose football games. So now when Moore went forward in that West Coast game, if you go back to the press conferences, it was pretty clear that uh, Moore was going to stay forward. So Howe went down in that game, but um, Buckley kept him forward. And then last week, through necessity to try and win the game on Anzac Day, he ended up throwing Moore back mid-game. So, yeah, it's a little bit confusing, but I just feel like for about a month or so, they'll need to leave Moore forward, um, get better cohesion and synergy. What Moore does is he provides a lead-up at the footy and he makes the opposition team nervous and, and forces the opposition coaches' box to make some moves. But more importantly, Majacek and Cox, when he's playing, you're not relying on those guys um, to be your main forwards. It gives Dugowie a little bit more room. Um, so I think that they can be a powerful combination. You, you try it for a month, as was the original plan. Then you settle your team down. Hopefully you get a win or two on the board and then you go back to um, you know, something a little bit more standard going forward. In your minds... When could Collingwood next be in contention? So I see Collingwood, the stage they're in now is very normal for all football clubs. We spoke about GWS needing a bit of a game-style overhaul. The challenge for Buckley is a 10-year coach without a premiership, but I know he's a great coach. I've coached against him. He's pre-planning. He's, he's really strong. Post-game, you listen to him. He knows exactly why they win, exactly why they lose. But what we need to see is, well, what's the plan? Who are the people around him going forward for the next few years? Because clearly, um, now they can say what they like internally, but externally... It's pretty clear to me that they're, they're not at Melbourne's level. They're not going past Melbourne. In fact, if Essendon are in rebuild mode, they've still got to get past Essendon based on what we saw last week. So this is a three or four year project. I think Buckley's the right man for the job. I think he's up for it, but they need to be honest about it. Uh, they're blooding a lot of young players now, which is a good sign, but you need to tell your supporters where you're at as a football club so they can go on the journey. You've got to manage the expectations. Yeah, I think that's it. You need to be honest about it. I don't think we've we've really seen that yet. Maybe there was a bit of a shift during the week where Buckley mentioned that he was being forced to make the selection uh, decisions he was because of the list profile. Without saying it, that kind of suggests that they're, they're acknowledging that that's where the team's at. But I think the quicker they can get clear on that, and maybe they are internally, but I think, like you say, it's, it's time to let the, their supporters in on it too. Buckley's one of the great figures in the history of the game. He might be Collingwood's most significant figure. If he's not one, he's on the podium. Um, 
there's always debate around coaching positions and personalities. The Buckley, the Buckley scenario feels elevated to me. It felt elevated in 2017. There are those people who seem absolutely vehement that he must not be allowed to continue on. And it has felt at times as a, a, a Buckley supporter, a believer, it, you're almost treated like it's a character flaw that you would believe in Buckley. Is the conversation different around him or is that my imagination? No, no, it is different around him. Biggest club in the competition, I think it's fair to say. One of the biggest figures in the competition. One of the most decorated players and now the coach, all in fitting with the unique handover that took place, of course, with Mick Maltas. So it all goes into the melting pot to create this one of the most one of the most ferocious discussion topics that we're going to have. And we saw it in 2017. We're seeing it now. He's also on the podium when it comes to performing in a, in a press conference space as a senior coach. He is as shrewd as they get. And how big was the turnaround in him declaring his hand this week? On AFL 360 with you, he dodged those questions repeatedly about whether he wanted to coach on next year. He didn't want to come across as desperate or begging for his job, which is understandable. And then in a mundane, otherwise mundane midweek press conference, it goes for 19 minutes. You couldn't take your eyes off it. He was as categoric as he could possibly be. I want to coach next year. I want to do it at this football club. And this is where my future lies. So what a turnaround that is. He's put it squarely on the public record. And why that doesn't happen by accident, either by his design or in consultation with the club, they've chosen that messaging to take them forward. Who knows? Buy themselves a bit of time, but they're playing Gold Coast Suns today. Clearly, it's results dependent as well. That's going to muddy the waters. But clearly, this is a, a, a shift in communication and strategy, Jared, to, to go to the next phase, if you like. Mm. It is it is absolutely fascinating. I think it there are elements of me that feel like political leadership um, sometimes in the in the Buckley debate. I, why, why the... Uh, and I would say it's the majority. Why the majority of pundits who believe that his time should be up are so are so vehement about ten it. Ten years. It that's surprises. The, the first two words that come out of their mouth is. Is it because years, they didn't years. get him in 2017? Well, I think they just come back to the fact that it's ten years. He hasn't got the ultimate success. Who else lasts over that period of time without it? But it's fine margins at the top, Jared. I look out here at the MCG and I look at that that junction between the 50-metre arc and the boundary where Dom Sheed slotted that goal. As Nathan Buckley said himself in that press conference this week, if that misses, the conversation here is very, very different. Yeah. In fact, we're not even having the conversation. So they've got there. They've got the grand final. They've got the prelim. They, they should have advanced further, obviously. the loss to GWS at this very ground a couple of years ago as well. So it's, it's fine margins, isn't it? Yeah. So I can only sort of share my, because I never feel more under assault than when I declare I believe in Nathan Buckley. And I, it hasn't even, I, I, I don't understand it, to be honest. Well, a bit of tall poppy syndrome as well, perhaps going back to the playing days as well. He's a polarising figure as they get though, isn't he? So the Collingwood Chief Executive Mark Anderson is with us on Crunch Time. Mark, Hello. Hello, Jared. Good to be with you. Is there a risk of being completely overwhelmed by the Nathan Buckley conversation, given his place in the game and his history with Collingwood? Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is that, as you know, he's a, he's a great individual. He's so genuine. He's so authentic. He's got a passion and love for the club. Uh, and he'll, he does what's needed by the club and, and he's incredibly balanced as well in terms of how he looks at these sort of issues, but more broadly as well. So, no, in answer to your first question. How do you navigate it 
then? Because the conversation is going to be... Uh, but well, it, frankly, it, it's going to be the predominant conversation in footy for as long as it takes to reach the decision. Yeah, look, and I think that was the, the value of sitting down pre the season starting, Jared. And the, uh, you know, with, with Nathan sitting down with Graham Wright and myself, we had the, these conversations around how was the season going to play out. And obviously we ran a whole range of uh, scenarios through that, as you do. And all of us were really comfortable that the right thing to do was to let the season unfold and to have the, the conversation in depth at the back end of the year. And that included Bucks. Uh, he was absolutely wanting to do that. It wasn't that he was uh, forced into it and or pressured into it. He was wanting to do that himself. So I think the fact that all three of us have really open conversations, we trust each other, we respect each other, nothing's changed since that conversation before the start of the year. Did you know on Wednesday morning that he would tip his hand publicly and declare that he wanted to coach Collingwood next year? Uh, look, it was no surprise at all. Uh, and I think um, what, we, what we all are at the moment is, is focused in the moment and, and all of the focus uh, is on getting a win today uh, against the Gold Coast at the G. So he's, he's always said that he's passionate about coaching, he's passionate about the club. Um, but he also said in that response, Jared, that the right thing to do was to have that conversation at the back end of the year. And it's not uh, about just about Nathan Buckley. It's about the club. And as I said before, that was his view as well, uh, that that's the right time to sit down and have the conversations. Had you heard him be so categoric that he wants to coach next year? Uh, no, we hadn't had that conversation. We'd had what does 2021 uh, look like? Uh, but there's no surprise in that. He's, a, he's, he's committed, he's passionate, uh, and no surprise in that at all. But uh, as we continue to, you know, we have regular conversations, the three of us, and uh, we are all about focused on the, the next match and the next block of matches and uh, ensuring we, we get the season on track. Are you pleased to hear that, that he wants to do it beyond this year? Yeah, look, I'm pleased to hear. Uh, I rate him, as I said before, I rate him as a person, rate him as a coach. So pleased to hear that, but not surprised either. He's passionate and committed, so I'm not surprised at all. Does 10 years tell against him at this point, Mark, how long you're in the job is uh, on, on, the, um, on the task ahead? Uh, not in my view, Jared. I think the, the industry, the AFL industry, has become far more mature around... Um, investing in coaches and investing in them over a long period of time and so, or a longer period of time. And so I think the industry's matured, clubs are matured, understand the complexities and that over 10 years or however long, uh, the clubs go through the, the rhythms and different stages of development. And uh, so, yeah, I think uh, it, it depends on the situation and, and where the group's at, where the coach is at, where the club's at and, and all of those things factor into sitting down and having that conversation at the back end of the season. Is it a natural part of the decision-making, Mark, to assess what alternatives there are, or is it strictly as a starting point, Nathan Buckley's suitability to continue on with Collingwood? Uh, we are simply and fo simply focused on exactly that, that we are in the moment of the 2021 season trying to get that on track. We've been really close, as I think uh, I heard in your opening, that you know, our, our losses have all been really tight, you know, no more than 30 points against GWS. So we're right in the mix and 
with our best team on, on the field, we can compete with anyone and we genuinely believe that. And at the same time, you know, we're bringing through some young players and developing those. So, you know, that'll play out across the season and, and uh, that's the full body of work that we want to see at the, at the end of the year or towards the end of the year. Are you surprised by how vehement those who believe Buckley's time is up, both in the the Collingwood supporter base and in the in the broader football community? Are you surprised by how vehement they are that Buckley's time at Collingwood should be coming to an end? Uh, yes, sir. I don't know. I was surprised by uh, the, the comments that you have clearly got, Jared. Um, that uh, what. Uh, what I know about Nathan and, and uh, what I really respect about him, he's, he's such a passionate and committed Collingwood person. And all at Collingwood have absolutely uh, respect for who he is as a person and what he's contributed to our club. So for me, that's that's kind of external noise. I understand that a whole range of people will have different opinions, uh, some pro, some not. Uh, but, you know, he, he is a great Collingwood person that's absolutely committed and and it's about the, the job that we're doing and need to get done and, and so that's the primary focus and you know the body of the work of the season it will uh, will be the right sort of evidence if you like to sit down and have the conversation understand that there'll be different opinions along the way. So in that mark is there's no avoiding the magnitude of the decision is there given Buckley's place at Collingwood through a couple of generations it is the there is an immense decision that that lies ahead as to whether his time at Collingwood continues or it's coming to a close. Yeah, that, that's not unique though, Jared. Jared, it, uh, in twenty seventeen, you know, the club went through a really deep review process, and it was a similar conversation to what's occurring now. So that's that's not a new conversation. Um, I think it. it says something about the size and scale of Collingwood and certainly about Nathan Buckley within that. But it's not a new conversation. And I think as leaders, our job is to, as much as possible, understand that there'll be commentary and and external noise, but stay focused on what's the best thing for the footy club and the individuals in the footy club and sitting down, looking at that really clearly uh, and with a good body of evidence behind us and, and then making calls. And... You know, Nathan is hugely respected by us in that. Hi, Mark. Sam Edmund here. I just wanted to ask you quickly about the game today and matters on field. Obviously, a lot of discussion mm. around youth, as you just touched on there, but 14 players will run out today that featured in the 2018 Grand Final. I mean, so there's some elder experienced statesmen in the side today. Is there a need for them to show something? For all the talk around the youth, would you like to see some of your, your decorated elder statesmen really fly the flag today? Yeah, uh, and I think that's where we're at. Well, not I think, that's where we're at as a team, Sam, in terms of that we've got that really good uh, block of experienced, uh, really great players for us uh, that are that are proven match in, match out, that they've, they've got talent and uh, experience and, and they know how to win matches. So that, that you don't change or lose class. Uh, we, we believe that when we've got the best players on the park that we're really competitive and, and actually we've shown that we remain really competitive. What we've got to do, and that's been the focus of this week, is translate the being competitive to getting across the line and, and clearly getting the win in the, in the columns. So we've got that, that young, exciting group that's coming through and uh, Caleb Poulter will uh, be our fifth debutant of the year. So that, that's exciting for the club and kind of the, 
the future of, of the club, but very much in this moment, we're expecting them to contribute, but certainly our experienced players to lead the way on that front. Sorry. In terms of um, the work Graham Wright has to do, Mark, is how uh, how big is the decision around the list as the composition of the list now and the direction over the next two to three years and whether this is a period of development to add high-end draft talent or whether you can swing back into contention relatively quickly? Yeah, it's, it's a good and fair question, Jared, and, and I think that's why we got Righty uh, on board. Uh, we're certainly uh, after an experienced uh, GM of footy and, and with Righty we, we get that and we've also got someone that's got great list management uh, and, and talent identification background as well. So he's a great addition for us uh, and he's been great early. Um, his role is to exactly that, look at the list and, and assess where we're at uh, and where we're at in, in that development. I think uh, one, one of the things in addition to kind of the, the obvious, if you look at our list at the back end of last year and who retired, there's seven players that did. Ben Reid, Trav Barco, Lyndon Dunn, Tommy Langdon way too early, unfortunately, among that seven. What uh, I, I think that was uh, certainly a shift in that we they were great servants and great people of our club and we knew that we could slot them in in a match and they, they'd get a role, play a role and, and get the job done for us. But we also knew that we needed to take that next step and in our next phase that we needed to bring some young talent through. So those five debutants that you've seen this year is, is just an example of that. And Riley's job is to look at what's next as well, obviously, as you said, for 2022 and beyond. So is that is that the biggest consideration facing the club? Uh, no, it's not. The, it's one of the considerations, and uh, in footy departments, it's it's all of the mixes that come together to deliver success. And I think we've uh, we've done that. Uh, you know, we haven't got the ultimate prize as you spoke about uh, in the lead-in, but we've finaled in the last three years. And but as footy clubs, you need to constantly review and assess where you're at and be realistic about that. And certainly, list management's a key part of that. But all elements of our footy department. Uh, we need to adjust and, and, and amend and get better. And uh, the beauty of Riley coming in with those fresh eyes uh, from a successful uh, Hawthorne program, uh, you know, he's a, he's a great addition for all of those reasons. So with the retirements that you referenced and the players who exited that we will know about, were you fearful of a rocky start to this season, the, the rocky start that has eventuated? Uh, look, I, I think what we knew is with uh, those players that I've mentioned stepping out that uh, we did need our, our best players on the park. And like all clubs, we're therefore relying on uh, on injuries and, and who the injuries happen to. And we've, we've actually uh, done a, a really good job in terms of the depth of our injury list. But the, you know, the four that we were missing last week uh, in the big Anzac Day match of Tay Adams, Geordie, Billy Elliott and Howie, they're, they're four big outs for us when we know that we've lost that bulk of experience. So fortunately, we get one of those back today with Geordie, but uh, you know, we, we do need our, our best players on, on the field to deliver and compete with the best. So, Mark, the, the other issue of the week was Port Adelaide's desire to wear the prison bars. And you'll forgive me if I, I sort of got overwhelmed by Eddie Maguire and never quite got to what Collingwood's current view is. Are you vehemently and bitterly opposed to them wearing the jumper as much as your former president is? 
Yeah, we're, we're really strong on it, Jared, and we didn't comment a lot because we didn't feel like we, we needed to because uh, our position was, was really clear and strong and, and protecting our, our position and, uh, you know, and our black and white stripes are a really a proud part of our tradition and, and heritage and history as well, clearly. Uh, but why we, didn't, uh, why we didn't feel like we needed to buy into the public debate was uh, in 2019, we, we sat down with Port Adelaide and, as you know, they were celebrating their 150th year and we sat down with them and, and understood that was a pivotal year for them and a massive year and uh, they wanted to wear their uh, their prison bar jumper and, and also were going through some rebranding uh, work and we absolutely supported them in that and we recognised how important that was. But within that agreement that we reached, it was clear that that was a one-off uh, and we felt that what well, it was explicit and so we didn't need to comment publicly this week we've we've been strong we've been clear always happy to sit down and talk with them but that's our current position and you know we were very very focused this week on ensuring uh, our focus was on this afternoon and playing gold coast at the g mark port adelaide say it's not over yet would you go to court to protect it if need be uh well I think I, well, not I think, I, I read this morning that Port Adelaide, uh, whilst that was talked about during the week, they've said that's not an option. So that's not going to happen. Okay. So is there the possibility of them furthering discussions with you to see if they can, um, if they can find any wiggle room in where things are? Uh, look, they they can and, and certainly uh, they will and you know as in all topics and conversations you know we've got a massive amount of respect for the Port Adelaide Footy Club and and going back to that previous comment we demonstrated that respect in the way that we dealt with what was a, a really important 150th year celebration and did the right thing uh, and as we should have so I think you know there's respect there always uh, but our position is clear but uh, you know we, we always talk with people that we respect and, and we would do that. Mark, thanks for your time this afternoon and good luck for your pies against the Suns. Thanks, Jared. Mark Anderson is the Collingwood Chief Executive. That was for Dometic, everything you need for adventures, big or small, mobile living made easy, Dometic. It's not hard to imagine what things look like if the pies go under this afternoon. So there's a set of games where the result is central and this is absolutely one of those. Uh, the new lad, Poulter's warming up uh, underneath us at the moment, wearing the 27 in the warm-up top, so he gets a look at it. You're listening to Crunch Time for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray Missing. Saturday footy starts with Collingwood and the Gold Coast at the MCG with equal intrigue across uh, a set of matches for the remainder of Round 7. The Crunch is for bet with Joel, Australia's number one tipping service Gamble responsibly, 1-800-858-858. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Daisy Pearce and Craig Jennings with you. We've uh, had a chance to talk with Mark Anderson, the Chief Executive of Collingwood, of the decisions that loom and the determination to assess the, the whole body of work or as, as much as possible to the back portion of the season. What do you make of it? Oh, I just sat here reflecting and loved your interview, Jared. It was fascinating, but, um, I mean... You think of the history, the last few years with Buckley, and we've mentioned a kick away in 18, a one in 100 kick away, prelim that they should have won in 19, and then 2020, which had all the challenges and clubs handled it differently. But there's been 
change and instability and a bit of a rocky road off field for Collingwood as well. There's been a change of presidency. Recruitment hasn't panned out as well as you would have hoped. Do the better report. New, do Yeah, uh, the do better report. New CEO back in 18. And then the challenges of COVID-19 with the footy department cuts and um, headcount to your personnel. So there's been a huge amount of change. I just can't see how you can put Collingwood's on-field performance this year all down to the senior coach. I think it's a great point, Dave. From the time we've met, we've talked about high performance, haven't we? And it's not just on the coach. So a lot of listeners will think everything rests on the coach and it's what we've been taught to believe. But internally, we know that you need a great captain, you need a great coach, you need a great support crew of assistants, the best footy manager, the best fitness coach. High performance is about a lot of people. But when I get to the game today... The real challenge for Collingwood for me is sometimes you forget how to win and I believe winning's a skill so they almost need to stumble on a win. So they lost that Brisbane game just because they forgot what they need to do in those last two minutes. And the other thing that I want to see from Collingwood, I hear a lot about them being a forward 50, lock it in their forward half team. But when the ball goes in forward 50, if you can pause the screen, I see Collingwood outnumbered in their forward line all the time. So the opposition gets their wings deep into their forward 50, the Collingwood wingers sit out, which is pretty normal covering the exits. But the other thing that happens is sometimes the Collingwood half forwards sit out too, blocking the exits, and the opposition outnumber them deep in Collingwood's forward 50 and then run it out and bypass those exits. So I think you either defend a little bit further back or you're all in and you start manning up in your forward 50 and, and pushing your wingers down there and keeping your, um, your forwards pretty deep. Um, just to get that lock-it-in repeat stuff that we saw uh, with Richmond last night. Talk's cheap in these scenarios. There's absolutely a risk of paralysis that grabs Collingwood today, or they're freed up and they play in the manner that they want to and they post a win. And so you can have whatever theories and reassurances you like. We'll know this afternoon. Mm. Mm. We'll know. I mean, they say the, the players. They, play. are, they, they say the players will be unaffected by it. Well, well, we'll probably find out a little bit today with a match that absolutely on paper you would have locked in at the start of the season, almost regardless of where they're at. So it's a doomsday scenario that you paint around this one, Jerry. A bit like the Saints later on this round. A bit like the Blues as well. There are a few trapdoors that um, the consequences are pretty severe. And one of the trapdoors is, I mean, Gold Coast would be viewing Collingwood as a scalp today. That they'd be up and about as a big opportunity to take a scalp at the G. I mean, in reality, Collingwood's a one and five oh. team, second last on the ladder, inexperienced, blooding their sixth debutant. That wouldn't be the Collingwood that Gold Coast feel like they're playing. This is a, a big club, one that's been up the top of the ladder, and they come here to the MCG. They will be up and about, and they'll have belief and a bit of a blueprint from last week that they, they can match them. I agree with that. Stuart Jewell week, I can imagine what's been up on his whiteboard. So at times this year, Collingwood's defenders moving the ball from the back 50 can be really, um, just really scruffy. And one thing I know about Gold Coast, that they're best, they put a normal, enormous pressure on the opposition. So, you know, Collingwood need to find a way to settle that back half and find a mark. And it might be that if the game gets out of hand, you want to see some moves from the Collingwood coaches box. It might be, you know, start laterally with putting Pendlebury back there, you know, like a Christian Salem type that does it for Melbourne where you can just relieve some pressure. So, yeah, it's a big game. And, and another thing I'd say about players, and Daisy, I'm sure you can attest to this, is players are human. So they know exactly what's going on and they read the paper and watch the news. So 
clearly they'll be affected by it. Now, the best ones can compartmentalise and narrow their focus, but footballers don't live in a bubble and they don't live in isolation, so they know what's going on at Collingwood externally and internally, and they'll be emotional about it and they'll be feeling it, and there'll be plenty of um, players out there today that absolutely love Bucks, and that should take their performance to the next level. But players are human, so they feel those emotions just like everybody else. Um, the best ones can narrow their focus. Carlton, nowhere to hide tomorrow afternoon. It's perfect. It's against Essendon. Essendon is a team declared in development mode. The Blues mantra is the time for development is over. So if you ever wanted the ideal marker against a team where historically they've always referenced themselves, is Carlton get their reference tomorrow against Essendon and don't leave the ground without the four points. Put up or shut up time, Jared. And that's the feeling from, I reckon, 90% of the Carlton fan base. I mean, Teague's, David Teague's press conferences are wearing thin. Speaks of being comfortable with where they're at. He doesn't believe in statements, selection, and how he doesn't want to erode a winning culture. Well, it's show and tell time. Okay, you've told us. Well, now show us. Give us something tangible as a group of supporters that we can hang on to because we desperately want to hang on to something. And two of their biggest names in the background are out of contract. Now, Paddy Cripson and Harry Mackay. Harry Mackay is almost the more pressing of the two in that official negotiations haven't started yet. They're due to sometime in the next month. Now, this could be result dependent and this could shape this contract not in terms of whether he will sign or not but what I believe to be what the length of the term will look like if Carlton have a productive next four or five weeks and he's a massive four or five week block for them on field that will shape the Harry Mackay contract and there's rivals queuing up out the door as you would imagine from what they've seen from him this year if they have a really miserable next four or five weeks I don't think the contract will be as longer term as what it otherwise might have been. And players obviously look at that all the time, don't they? They want to see something tangible as well. They're no different from the supporter base. They want to see something that they can hang on to and they can commit to. Yeah, coming into the season, everybody's got different expectations. We spoke about this on Thursday, Jared. So for mine with Carlton, they're a team that can finish 8th, ninth, or 10th this year. But at a minimum, what you want to see in your planning and going into the season is that you can beat all the bottom 10 teams or bottom nine teams from the previous season and, and Essendon being one of those. And then on, on the other side of the coin, having worked at Essendon for 10 years, uh, one of the first people to take me under their wing was Gary O'Donnell. And I asked him about, you know, the the matchups against North Melbourne and those type of rivalries. And he said, don't worry about North Melbourne, Hawthorne, Collingwood. The games that we must win are against Carlton. So this has got a real grand final feel because there'll be nothing that Essendon like more than putting Carlton on the back seat and under more pressure. Yeah, win, win well and then take a ping at the Bulldogs. Lose and you're, and you're suddenly facing a stretch of five on the trot with the Bulldogs in Melbourne to come. And I don't know how this incarnation of Carlton would deal with losing five on the bounce. And obviously Mark Lejudice steps down at the end of the year. Chris Judd reported in the age today by Jake Noel. He will step down as football director as well. But off-field, they're, they're sound, I would argue. Um, they're as sound as they've been for a long, long time, maybe two decades. It's the on-field that is the piece they just cannot fix and haven't so far, I think, this year looked close to fixing. I haven't seen anything tangible that I speak of here where I think as a, as a Carlton supporter watching oh, great, we've improved in that area. You really have to look hard, don't you, to find something to hang on to. I think that's what that's a non-negotiable, to be able to hang your hat on that by the end of the year. I mean, finals, they lose tomorrow. Start. It's almost getting trickier and trickier, given there's only going to be a few spots up for grabs. But you want to see – you need to be able to 
at season's end say Petrevsky, Seaton, McGovern, Stocker, Dow are good players that are going to take this club forward. That that's an if you're not seeing that by the end of the year, it's it's going to be a, a, a tough time. To extend that, days. Do you know what I'd love to see? Williams and Sard flying off that half back, half back line. So. You know, what does it look like when Carlton win? That's the first question. So when they played well last year and their win-loss record under Teague, you know, since being caretaker in last year, is probably around 50-50, give or take a game or two. But when they got off to their fast starts or when they came from behind, I saw forwards launching at the footy, um, defenders fighting to the death. You see the midfielders uh, working to defend. So that's something in their losses where I don't see their midfields uh, working as hard as other teams. But I love teams that have a double threat. You know, uh, Sam, earlier you were talking about the triple-headed monster and Sometimes you can stop one player, but you can't stop two. And I just love Sard and Williams flying off that half-back line, like Caleb Daniel and Johannesson do sometimes. But, but hang on, Zach Williams are half-back. They've paid him more than 800000 a year for six years to play him right in the middle there. Yeah, so the coach, we don't care what the players get paid. We care about the results and the performance. So for me, I don't look at the draft pick, and I don't look at what they're mm. getting paid. I, get look at, I look at what their team first performance is, what their strengths are, putting their strengths on show. But that's why the club acquired him, because they had a, a, a hole in midfield that they thought they could fill. So they went to Zach Williams to fill that hole. So are they conceding if they do push him half back that, well, okay, we got this wrong? Yeah, so you get things wrong all the time. So we talk about teams needing to change the way they play. Uh, Clarkson, Clarkson's been um, done it more than most. So whether it's at round four or round seven, sometimes you just have to see reality. Now, maybe he is the right person for the midfield and the way I see the game's a little bit different, but I can see them getting real value out of the two of those flying off the back half. But part of that needs to be some strong support from their wingers getting back to support the defenders so that the defenders can get off and, and help in attack. If Zach Williams goes back and becomes a Caleb Daniel half-back or a, a Jaden Short, well, then that's $800,000 well spent. So I don't think you, you can not make a move in fear of having gotten it wrong or, or thinking he might have played a, a different position. Third team in the crunch will be St Kilda. The crunch is for bet with Joel Transparent Results. Driven sports tips. Gamble responsibly. 1-800-858-858. There's a little bit of a, if they're going to amount to anything with Marshall and Ryder, uh, they have to beat Hawthorne later today. I love Paddy Ryder back in the team and, and Marshall and him have proven to be a really good uh, combination. But having worked with Paddy at Essendon, he's just such a vibrant person. And, and, you know, you talk about leadership and everyone leads in different ways, but he just brings such enthusiasm to the group. And the thing with Paddy, you can go forward and kick goals as well. So it's a bit of a, uh, a double bonus there. But the thing for St Kilda, um, we spoke about it a little bit on Thursdays, Jared is... Um, just coming into the season, the game's got away from them a little bit strategically. So their point of difference last year was their speed. But now getting speed on the ball is a very easy thing to do. The other way they scored was they loved deep entries and they'd get their crummers and forward pressure. But now we're seeing the marks on leads being uh, more prevalent as a way to score. So a lot of things that they had going for them have gone against them. But what I would say, we talk about coaching teams days, is that they're in good hands. They've got David Rath, who's been at the AFL in terms of game analysis, and he's now on a, another games committee there on the future of the game. So between him and Rats and his coaching team, they'll find solutions now. Every year, two teams miss out on the eight that finished fifth and eighth the previous year. I think St Kilda is one of those. But going forward, they'll learn their lessons and they'll get things right sooner rather than later. Who needs a rev up? 
for Harley Heaven. The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. Our Harley Heaven River for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson. Surely this is Adelaide. And the use of Tom Lynch as the sub last week, and then we were told, no, no, it was the plan all along. I think if that's the plan, you need to get a better plan. <laughs> but as it turns out, Tom Lynch is injured. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dennis Pagan used to have the saying, don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining. Yeah. Well, the word was they took him down there for leadership initially, and that they had a young group. We know they got a young group. And travelling interstate down to Tasmania, I thought, well, we could do with Tom Lynch for the leadership. But why? They would make him the medical sub is absolutely beyond all of us, Daisy, Jeno, and uh, Jared. If you if you're so far off being 100% that you might need medical assistance to get yourself up, you're not even strapped, you don't even have your kit on, and there's a 15 minute gap between Will Hamill coming off and you coming on, and you lose a match by less than a kick, yeah. just cop to it. I would say that's probably not going to wash. So if you're taking him for leadership, take him for leadership and pick a fit medical sub. <laughs> Do you know what it sounds like to me? You take inside match committee, somebody put it forward and somebody said, that's a good idea. And all 10 people around the table said, that's a good idea. And they went with it and they just really haven't thought it through or extrapolated. Because your point, Daisy, is absolutely spot on. You don't need to be on the field to be a leader. How do you interpret Ben Brown beating Sam Wiedemann to the first opening in the Melbourne forward line? Oh, I love this one. So Ben Brown, he's somebody that when you're planning against North Melbourne back in the day, he was the difference between winning and losing. And the thing that about Hobart is it's a very, very rare ground where you plan for the ground more than you plan for your opponent. So I call it there's a void end where it's impossible to score and a vortex end where you just lob the ball up and it goes straight through the middle of the goal. So I suspect that it's a they're bought in Brown. One, he's in good form, but also he knows how to play Hobart and he also knows the opposition inside and out. So you get those little 1%, 2% advantages. So I think it's a great move. And I don't know, there might be more to the Wiedemann... Um, conversation as well, given that he had a very unusual injury with the stress, uh, stress fracture in his femur. Maybe there's a bit of load management going on at VFL level that you can pick and choose with. I don't know. I'm just having seen the conversations during the week about um, every other club should be contacting Sam Wiedemann's manager. Mm. Well, he Maybe, kicked 11 in two weeks. Yeah, well, I, I think, though, there'd be more going on. The conversation with Sam Wiedemann wouldn't have been you know, oh, Ben Brown's been picked ahead of you. I, I dare say there'd be a bit more detail going on and that his path back to playing might be different to what Ben's was. How good is Weeds, though? Like, what a luxury for Melbourne. So, great person and at his best. You saw him in the finals in 2018, what he can do. And he's got a huge future ahead of him. So, if he falls out of that footy club for any reason, he is a huge loss because he's great for the environment and he can be a great player. Just an insider now and out of the bounds here, Jared. No changes for either side. So Collingwood and Gold Coast will go in as named and the league's best mullet will get a run on field from the first bounce, that being Caleb Poulter because the subs are Jay Rantel for the Pies and Alex Sexton, interestingly, for the Gold Coast Suns. Might we get our Thursday night teams back? There's conversation in this space, Jared. I know you're flying the flag yeah, on this. If you have anything I'm to do behind, with it, Jared. I am in behind Andy Maher. I just want to say that. Yep. Well, um, Gillian McLaughlin spoke about it yesterday on 3RW. He said they're working through it at the moment, but he did raise the question, well, what worth are these Thursday plenty. night teams given? Plenty, because you get, the, you get the injury outs. It doesn't matter. The extended squad, don't get fixated on the, on the extended squad. 
the outs in those extended squads were always critical to make your assessments around who for tipping who would win and who wouldn't. They were of value. Yes. The AFL boss, though, did try to paint the picture that these squads are so flexible and so manoeuvrable from a Thursday to a Sunday. He was sort of almost asking the question, well, what are they worth anyway? But I think the league are conscious of the fact that the public, the people power is speaking. What we learnt last year is this game's about the supporters. If the supporters want it, then you bring it in. And, and knowing from Matt's committee, in terms of all the things that you deal with during the week, selecting a Thursday night team for a Sunday, it's about a speck of dust in terms of annoyance. Yep. So it's something that will make no difference to any AFL coaching team. And if it did, they're probably not going to be um, coaches worthy of their sold anyway. So no, bring it back. One coach told me yesterday they're picking their teams on Wednesdays and telling their players on Wednesday nights... And they, we now have this very unusual circumstances. The players don't know whether they're supposed to tell family or because if you're a Sunday game, that team doesn't get announced till Saturday night. So there's this incredibly awkward lag that they actually think is inconvenient rather than mm. making life better. Mm. Who's winning the Eddie Koshy Stoush? Oh, gee, this is a hard one, isn't it? I, I, I can see both sides, Jared, to be honest. Um, but the contract... I'm much more interested in the personal... Stoush than yeah. the jumper. Don't take me into legal contracts. Oh, I did did Koshy uh, calling any Maguire Donald Trump? Yeah, that, that's as a brutal a sledge as you're going to get. It's like talking to Donald Trump is what he said. Unbelievable, Jared. What's the ideal game length? Is The coaches are reaching a point there. I think by the end of the year, they'll be unanimous in their petition to the AFL that, that it's too long. Yeah, I think somewhere in between last year and this year. So that lands at, what, 18 minutes? Well, we were conditioned to think 18 was coming in and then we got the full whack back, which was almost a surprise. But if we're talking about people power, Jared, how it is now is exactly how they like it. You will will have no chance of winning the public uh, over on this one if you're arguing for shorter quarters. They want the full whack. They say, bugger the coaches, bugger the teams. I pay my money. I want full whack for what I'm watching out on the ground. But Chris Scott, listening to him during the week, he said they should have stayed at the 16 minutes. I think he's been facetious. Some were pretty quick to point to the age demographic that he's dealing with down there. The people power, I think, may change off the back of this year. I mean, after if 16 was too short, they would have the, the overriding sentiment was, oh, I'll go back to what it was, the 20 minutes. But I feel like they're too long. I mean, put the injury conversation aside. Yeah. When you sit down to watch a game, especially having watched a lot of AFLW footy, the games just feel too long. All topics in play for the open line, one 736 736 for Southern Phones. Switch to Southern Phones. Simplify your life with Southern Phone mobile plans. An awful lot in crunch time for you to dissect, thanks to Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. Stock in the all-new Nissan Navara. Built tough. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.